Hey, hey, everybody. If you're listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of this episode of The Shift with Doug McKenty. If you like what you're hearing, please consider subscribing to the show in order to access the full feature-length versions of the podcast, as well as have access to the Members Forum, where we discuss potential topics and interviews and dive deep into the overall concept of The Shift. For only six bucks a month, not only do you get the full-length episodes, but also an opportunity to co-create with me, your host, Doug McKenty, the future of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com or patreon.com backslash the shift and sign up today in order to help make the shift possible. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. morning, noon, or night, wherever and whenever you are listening, you are listening to The Shift. I'm your host. My name is Doug McKinty. This 96th episode was recorded on October 12th, 2021. Today's conversation covers the burgeoning men's movement with Michael Loria, author of Forging Excalibur, Rediscover Your Masculinity. Over the past several decades, modern feminism has evolved to confront what many rightly perceive as a societal imbalance that places men in positions of power and often suppresses the feminine energies of creation, placing them in an inferior role. While criticisms of systemic patriarchal institutions are well-founded, the solutions proposed often focus on empowering women to success within those institutions rather than questioning the foundational psychology upon which these systems are predicated. Perhaps success should not be measured in terms of placement within the hierarchical and often authoritarian structures inherent in patriarchal systems. Not only that, but modern feminism often seems vindictive in its overt attacks against natural masculinity, as phrases such as toxic masculinity have become part of our cultural nomenclature. Such attacks have left many men feeling ashamed of their own personal power and alienated not only from their communities, but even within the intimate relationships necessary to form a strong family unit. Michael's work seeks to restore the balance of masculine and feminine energies by facilitating a reawakening of healthy masculinity within his clients. His book uses the metaphor of forging a sword to describe the process through which men, weakened and confused to varying degrees by modern sexual dynamics, can realign themselves with powerful and healthy masculine energies in order to reestablish their positions as powerful community and family leaders. Through this process, men become capable of harmonizing with female counterparts to create a healthier dynamic through the balance of both feminine and masculine principles. Much like the process of metallurgical softening and hardening, Michael describes how men must participate in a process of heating, molding, and cooling their own personalities to eliminate dysfunctional subconscious conditioning. This process integrates the shadow personality with the authentic self, allowing the development of a conscious awareness that allows the participant to take control of his life while eliminating the doubts, fears, and regrets that often hold men back from achieving their potential. By focusing on the development of a clear life purpose, building a strong self-image, developing discipline, and following the seven standards of men, Michael provides a path forwards towards inventing a healthy masculinity that empowers men to lead a productive and fulfilled life, characterized by positive relationships and financial success.
Stay tuned as this conversation takes a deep dive into common issues within modern society that leave men feeling confused and defeated, and provides a description of a path forward for men that results in a reassertion of the healthy masculine energy that is necessary to create a balance between the masculine and feminine power within families and communities alike. To find out more about the work of Michael Loria and to get a copy of the book, go to www.forgingexcalibur.com. If you appreciate what you are hearing, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast within your social media networks. We rely on listeners like you to distribute this information. For hours of free content, sign up to the newsletter or subscribe for feature-length versions of the show. Go to www.theshiftnow.com. I want to give a warm welcome to Michael Loria for agreeing to participate in this interview, and thank you for helping to make the shift. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this 96th episode of The Shift. I'm your host, Doug McKinty. Happy to be joined today by Michael Loria. Uh, Loria, Michael has written a book called Forging Excalibur, uh, and he's kind of been uh, maneuvering or placing himself at the forefront of what we might be able to call the the new men's movement or the modern men's movement. I wanted to have him on today to really discuss what's going on with men in particular, with society in general, uh, and what uh, what men can do. I mean, I think a lot of us actually are just feeling a little bit lost in the in the modern age, Michael. And when I was as I was reading your book, I think you really touch on a lot of things that are affecting. Uh, modern masculinity. We're dealing with what you describe in the book as as toxic femininity, and I think that's what's that's what I'm perceiving anyway. Is that these energies, these sexual energies that typically we want to see in balance, right? <laughs> We're seeing them getting farther and farther and farther apart uh, to the point of of this level of toxicity in both in both the masculine and the feminine. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to having this conversation with Michael. And uh, why don't you just describe in your own words what you're up to these days and why did you decide to to focus on the masculine? Yeah, cool. Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate this. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Yeah. Um, so why am I doing this? So it's, it's a long story, which goes back, uh, which goes back really, I suppose, it really started with divorce. And um, that was close to 16 years ago, 16, 17 years ago now, um, divorced with two, two children. And that experience was incredibly internally disruptive, mm-hmm. as it is for most men who go through that experience of divorce and separation with children. And so um, I got to a point where I was so severely depressed, suffering from anxiety, developed PTSD as well as a result of a whole range of different factors associated with that over a long period of time. And not being able to see my children for two years, that I got to a point where I almost, I was about to take my own life. Mm. And thank goodness I didn't, um, but I was almost about to. And in that moment, I had an, you might want to call it an awakening. I really was able to open my eyes and see who I'd become and, and look at my potential from a different perspective and understand that at some point in the future, I would, I would see my children again. And I had to decide who I wanted to be for them. Did I want to? Did I want to be who I'd become, or did I, or did I want to be better? And then it was about understanding the beginning steps of what that journey looked like, and working my way towards a version of myself that a I could stand to bear to look in the mirror at, and b a, a half decent, at least a half decent role, role model for my children. 
and so began the journey, the so-called hero's journey towards, mm-hmm. you know, where I am today and what I'm doing. So, you know, that's, that's, I guess, the beginning stages. But really, when we do the deeper work and we start to really get stuck into the depths of our psyche and the shadow and how we develop beliefs at a very, very young age, I would say that I was, and I'm happy to get into this, but I would say that in some ways I was born to do what I do. Yep. Nice. I'm happy. I'm happy to get into that because there's a whole spiritual aspect to that as well um, that I'm more than happy to share if you'd like to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. I mean, uh, as I was reading the book and just in general lately, I think I've been thinking more and more about how our culture gives us this opportunity to just follow along, you know, here's the path, go to school, go to university, get your corporate job, you know, work hard for the corporation, make money, you know, and if you follow that path, as I was, you know, I'm reading your book and I'm doing other interviews about emotional health and I'm realizing that you can follow that path and you can never do an ounce of, of emotional work on yourself your whole life. You can just do what you're told, you know, and absolutely, and And suffer through life. That's right. You're going to have all these repressed emotional issues that your parents had and their parents before them, and nobody's ever working on any of this stuff. And, and so to, to transition from that, to say, wait a minute, something's not right here. And then you have to go into this real emotional work to actually find your authentic self and and walk your own path in a sense, separate from, from what you've been given. So it seems. And that takes some, that takes some fortitude to step out of the mold and right. to and to really be prepared to look at yourself at the deepest possible levels, it takes some courage and strength. And not many not many men actually choose to undertake that, you know, to accept their call to adventure and go on their hero's journey and, you know, enter the dark cave in the dark forest that contains the things that we truly fear, you know, and face ourselves at the deepest levels. Not many people are prepared to do that. And so mm. most people are doomed to live a very mediocre life, doing very mediocre things. And underneath the surface, suffering every single day um, because they've they've got this untapped potential within them that they're just not realizing. And when I talk about the word mediocre, I don't mean that in a judgmental way. What I mean is they do exactly what you just described before. They go yeah. to school, they 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 get whatever grades they've got to get, they go to college or university, um, and they get a job and they work in the job that they're miserable in for 30 or 40 years. And these days they switch jobs. People switch jobs very, very quickly. And we're all jumping at instant gratification and shiny objects, hoping that this next job, this next career, this next business, this next whatever is going to be the thing that makes me happy. And people and people navigate life like this, trying to find something external to themselves to provide them happiness, fulfillment, purpose, meaning, whatever that might be for them. And most people get to the end of their life and and they've li- and and they die with regrets, too many regrets, and those sure. regrets are all connected with untapped potential, fear around exploring our potential as well, for fear of failure. Um, but what a lot of people do is they live a life of perceived failure, their own perceived failure, because they've never actually tried to reach for anything. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And then you're passing down uh, whatever emotional issues you got from your parents who also just kind of followed the straight and narrow and you're passing that down to your kids and you're wondering why your family life's not really working or things that didn't happen. Uh, I totally hear you. And and it does mm-hmm. take a lot 
I mean, it takes a lot of presence and awareness to make that dive and do the emotional work to, to get through to the other side, you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's have a, a conversation about this concept of toxic masculinity. Um, because, and, and you did mention this in the book, it's just kind of funny that, you know, a healthy person has a healthy person is going to have masculine and feminine energies, but, um, for the purposes of forging Excalibur and you've chosen to just deal with men and, and working with men on their masculine energy. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so much out there right now about this concept of, of toxic masculinity. Um, and I think that it's having a really damaging impact on a lot of the men out there in the world right now who are being taught that their sex, basically, as a product of their birth, they're already carrying all of this negativity around with them. Um, what, where does that come from? What is it? And what is it doing emotionally to a lot of men out there? And, and what do you see as, uh, as the, the healthy alternative to toxic masculinity? Mm. So I would say that toxic masculinity, in my opinion, doesn't doesn't and shouldn't exist. It doesn't exist. Mm. I don't believe there's any such thing as toxic masculinity. I don't think there's any such thing as to- toxic femininity. I think there's just masculinity and femininity, and we apply all these judgments and labels to both of these ways of being, these energies, based on um, behaviours and external manifestation of the shadow, which Carl Jung calls the shadow, the unconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And so most people are living life unconsciously. And when I say that, they're living from paradigms, beliefs, and values that they developed very young in life as children between birth and seven, because between birth and seven years of age, seven or eight years of age, we we take on all the experiences um, and, and beliefs and values and observations of our outside world because our mind does not judge at that age takes everything on as fact and so we carry that all through in life and so what eventually happens is that if we have unintegrated parts of our psyche that we are not aware of then we will behave badly and when we behave badly it's 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 the catchphrase in our society over the last few years that when men behave badly it's a, an example of toxic masculinity and so of course then that was applied to the feminist movement, because the feminist movement then picked up on this term and said, all men are toxic, all men uh, are toxic masculines. And the Me Too movement picked up on it as well. And to, to, to get, to put some context around what I'm saying here is, is this, I think there was a need back in the day for mm-hmm. women's rights. Women, women weren't treated equally um, or even given the considerations and the rights that they should have many, many years ago, you know, like a hundred years ago and, and before that. And the Me Too movement was valuable because sexual harassment in the workplace or in any environment should not be, is not appropriate and should not be condoned. But what happens is that these things get carried too far. We, the, the objective is achieved. Women got their rights, which they shouldn't have had to fight for at all and i'm totally on board with that but they're there and every woman these days has exactly the same equality of opportunity as men okay equality is there equality of opportunity is there but many women believe that it's not they're more interested in equality of outcome which is a very different argument altogether and 
that's not appropriate, reasonable or achievable in any society mm -hmm. to have men and women equal in terms of outcomes. It doesn't provide good, um, a good balance from a socially, from a societal point of view around how we navigate life and how we navigate our world as males and females. And so, and the Me Too movement brought to the world awareness sexual harassment in the workplace and in every, you know, in every area of life, which was a good thing. But then where it goes is it almost goes to this place of all men are evil, all men are bad, all men are suspicious, all men are dangerous, all men are toxic. And we have to be prepared for the man in the office or the man in the pub, in the club, or the man in this environment or the man over there to behave badly and take advantage of women and just be an asshole in many ways. And so this is what has been built into our society over the last, say, especially over the last 10 years or so, mm -hmm. especially over the last 10 years. And this starts to bleed into schools because, you know, our education system is very left-leaning, which means that which means that it's going to be run by that real hardcore feminist agenda. And when we see this happening in schools, then what we find is the boys are treated very differently to girls. And girls are told that they need to be protective of themselves against the boys. And the boys in schools are told that they need to behave themselves and act appropriately, and of course they should, um, but that they need to almost... There was a school here in Melbourne in Victoria. Um, when was this? I would say it was about a year ago, maybe nine months or a year ago, and all of the boys in this primary school were told to come up to the front of the school in assembly in front of the girls and apologise right. and apologise to them all. And it's like, what are, we, what are they apologising for? for being boys, for being boys, right? And so what does that set up for us? It sets up this, this attitude and mindset and belief in these young, innocent children that girls need to be afraid of boys and boys are somehow toxic and harmful to girls. And so then when you've got these boys growing up and, and they start to you know, move into 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, and we know that at that sort of age – testosterone starts to develop in a, in the, in a, in a boy's body. And it's very, it's very important for them to learn how to regulate their behavior because it can get very aggressive. It can get very violent. It can get to the point where boys who are unregulated at that age, and mind you, girls are also unregulated because we still haven't been able to manage our emotional uh, responses yet within our own bodies that, they're very confused and they grow up very confused about these about these ways of being, which is inherently what it means to be a boy. And they question themselves and they doubt themselves and they believe that they are poisonous and toxic and harmful, when in fact that they're really not. They just need education around how to regulate their emotions and good outlets to really, you know, get out that unbound aggression in many ways. Right. And that can be martial arts. It can be... Um, it can be running, it can be physical exercise in some way, it can be anything. But what we're doing in society is we are bringing boys up to believe that they're dangerous and we're bringing girls up to believe that boys are dangerous and that they need protection against boys. And so then when you extrapolate that into the workforce, all of a sudden you've got women who are on guard against men. You have 
men who are told don't be in a boardroom on your own with women, just with a woman, just in case. You have um, in sports, it's the same kind of thing. And so where this all comes from, any it's anyone's guess where, where this all comes from, but in my opinion, it's feminism gone too far. It's this fourth and fifth wave of feminism that has really turned into a, a movement of man-haters who are really just resentful women who have had bad experiences with men, which mm-hmm. they probably ha- helped to co-create in many ways. So that's a long answer to a short question. but Well, it's, it's just a fascinating topic, and I'm, I'm glad you got into it because I think a lot of boys, I mean, they do internalize this feeling of, of their own toxicity just because of the way that they're raised in the society. And then a lot of women, I think, on the other side of that are very angry at the men because they've been taught that, that men are sort of inherently toxic. And then as, as we become adults and all of this is ingrained in our behavioral patterns, it becomes subconscious. How are we supposed to have a healthy relationship when all of that is happening underneath the surface? Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And we're missing out on a lot of other context around this as well. I mean, everybody usually does when they have these discussions and I'd like to bring even more depth and substance to this part of the discussion because what we miss in in a lot of this is is we miss the so-called you know again another catch cry is that the patriarchy is responsible for all of the problems in our world and so right. we go back and we understand what is that actually when people say that what does that mean and when when people say patriarchy what they really mean is that men rule men are dominant and men rule and it's and it's that society that we had in the past um, that is responsible for all of our woes now and people don't often put context and perspective around the fact that there was a need in the early part of last century when we were experiencing world wars and famines and 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 financial depressions and all sorts of things that somebody had to step up and go and fight the wars. Somebody had to get out there and do the hard work to build what we have around us now. The industrial age was fueled by men, the work of men, right? And and what we miss in all of this is we miss the fact that women and men just had roles to fulfill. Nobody judged what those roles were. They just had roles to fulfill. The fact was is that men went off to war some of them came back and some of them didn't, okay? The ones that did come, and, and whilst the men were off at war, the women had to step up into their masculine energy and provide for the children and their families and look after things, right, and just survive in many ways. Mm-hmm. And that's a, there's a lot of masculine energy in that. And they had to do that. It was necessary. And then when these men came back, the men that did come back from war there was an expectation from the women, rightly so. Now the man is back. He can provide, he can do all the things, but he came back so traumatized um, from war that he was unable to manage himself, let alone um, a family. And of course, then what would happen is that because he was suffering from PTSD and all sorts of things that people, that men suffer from coming back from war, and we see that in society now when they come back from afghanistan these men are a a lot of these men are broken they're just broken and fractured in terms of their psyche and we didn't nobody understood this stuff back in the 30s and 40s and 50s in the 1930s 40s and 50s we didn't understand much about mental illness so these men would come back suffering from such deep ptsd 
and they had no way, there was nobody to talk to about it, nobody understood them. And so then what is the manifestation, the external manifestation of that? Frustration, anger, um, aggression, and violence. Sure. Which, which is, of course, inappropriate, of course, and, and we don't condone any of that behavior. But when there's nobody to talk to, when there's nobody to understand or relate and you're being told that you're crazy and you know that you're not, and these are the responses and the reactions, these young children, their children were watching their mother get hit by their father. They're watching their father get angry and throw things around and leave. And these are the so-called baby boomers, the, the, the kids now who are um, in their 60s and 70s, you know, and there's there's a lot of generational trauma that comes from all of that. And of course, right. these are our parents that we're talking about who were children back then witnessing their parents go through this ordeal, this harrowing ordeal of of PTSD um, fueled, um, uh, sorry, anger and violence and aggression fueled by un, unbound and untreated, if you like, PTSD mm-hmm. from war, right? And the women were also suffering the same way because the burden was on their shoulders for the whole time that their that the husbands or men were away at war. And for those women whose husbands didn't come back, who the men who did die at war, die at war, then there was a the, the responsibility continued to be on their shoulders to continue to provide and survive and protect. And so, the patriarchy isn't about men ruling the world. The patriarchy is about the rise of the masculine energy in that period of our history um, as a, as a pure necessity of war. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and how I mean, we're now trying to navigate the balance between the masculine and the feminine now. Right. I, I've thought about just the the massive quantities of, of post-traumatic stress that kind of got dumped on our culture, say from World War One, World War Two, or even mm. all the wars before that, because so much post-traumatic stress results from this. And then it's clearly, it's been unhealed by our culture that hasn't had any way to address it until just the last 20 or 30 years ago when people started to really, you know, understand how post-traumatic stress actually works. But it's interesting to really make that kind of direct correlation between the the post-traumatic stress caused by these wars and then what really happened to men as a whole and what could now be then become perceived eventually as quote unquote toxic masculinity is really just uh, post-traumatic stress from all from from a, from generations of men who have had this horrendous experience, especially the first two world wars, um, and so we're still kind of reeling from that because the generational trauma has continued to go unhealed, and mm-hmm. now we're in this place where we really, I mean, I don't, we really have no idea like what's going on. I, I think we're in a position where uh, men and women can be are more equally treated in our society, but it's almost like neither one of them really knows, knows how to act <laughs> um, and without the, the emotional easy. strength, you know, the emotional health to be able to make the right choices. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing. I, I totally agree with you. And here's the thing around that is that most people are so caught up in what they believe is right and what they believe they are owed and a sense of entitlement around that as well, around how they wish to be treated. Um, We could call that standards as well. But what we don't realise and what we don't spend enough time doing is is really engaging in compassion for other people 
and understanding that as a collective society, and I'm talking about a world society, we are all, even now, suffering stress, anxiety, um, and there, there and there's going to be trauma as a consequence of what the world is going through right now added to sure. the generational trauma of two world wars and the Cold War back in the day as well and just general life, the stress of general life on top of that as well. And we've got aggression being and anger and frustration being passed down from generation to generation. And here we all are trying to navigate the world the way that it is at the moment um, from a place of trauma, unhealed trauma. And, and rather than come together in unity, we are seeing more and more division. Right. And I, and I truly believe that this is as a result of generational trauma and the, the inability for us to heal that tra- trauma as individuals and a collective. So what does this process look like then? Um, you know, healing the, healing the trauma, healing that generational trauma that's, uh, that's really affected so many of our families. Um, maybe you could start with a description of just what a, what healthy masculinity could look like. So I would say we, we need to remove that a word, any word before masculinity Mm -hmm. or femininity for that matter, because they're just very pure energetic forms. They're very pure energy. That's all they are. But if we were to, what's the inverse of toxic masculinity, it would be a man, for instance, who is self-aware, who has integrated most of his shadow aspects and who approaches the world with an attitude of service and contribution and, and, and lives his life according to what I wrote in the book, which you read about the seven standards of men. Right. Yep. That, that's what I would say. If we're going to put any word in front of masculinity and maybe say healthy masculinity, that's what I would say. But I would say more integrated or embodied masculinity. That's probably a good a good a good word than a better word than toxic. Right. It's interesting. Um, I think you're right about uh, about masculinity and femininity just being descriptive terms about energies. And I I mean I know I fall into the same trap sometimes myself uh, using the term patriarchy or what's the difference between a patriarchy and a matriarchy kind of thing there it's easy to fall into these um descriptive terms that that maybe over objectify a real complex issue that's going on and um so i do think that's a good idea to to kind of like leave them on their own in a sense just to just to be a general descriptive term about these energies that are at work but not really try to put a judgment call on on how they're working. It's kind of a, it's kind of a trick of language, but you got to pay attention to those things because it does make a difference. It really does, Doug. And, and one of the things that we all have to consider here is this is all around conditioning as well. We're conditioned um, by media and, and social media and mainstream media and just the ongoing narrative around feminism and toxic masculinity and all of the things that we've been talking about, there's, there's societal conditioning and it's intentional societal conditioning to have boys and girls grow up being boys being paranoid of their own expression and girls being wary and fearful of boys. Right. Okay. So this is beginning to be conditioned, deeply conditioned into our society in primary school. So we have to be so acutely aware of the fact that there's going to be some unraveling and delayering here. And and it requires us as the men and, and women of the world who are 
more aware and understand that this is not good and this is not going to end well for our society to educate our boys and girls in ways that are a lot more considerate of the fact that men and women are different and should be given different considerations and should we should understand that there there, there is a place for us both both men and women and that when we work together really well we create magnificent societies yeah it's interesting because uh as you described it with the with the boys looking down on themselves and with the women i just can't emphasize it enough that that uh, this conditioning, the societal conditioning that's happening to, to these kids at a young age, there's just no way you can have a healthy relationship that leads to a strong family unit if you've been conditioned in this way. I mean, we need to we need to have a new conditioning that's based on a healthy uh, emotional understanding of what it is to be both a man and a woman, mm-hmm. so that we we can have solid relationships that are um, that are um, consistent you know, and create a solid foundation to raise children inside of, I mean, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's important to do this work and understand what's going on, but I think we should get into, since your focus is on men, we've kind of hashed out that, that, uh, men and women both could use some help and that there are issues going on, but your focus is on men. Um, and so why don't we just describe the process, that forging Excalibur process, uh, kind of at the beginning of the book, you describe the, the different phases of people as they, as they grow up from the ages from zero to seven, uh, when that subconscious layer is created. And then, you know, you go through this kind of forging process of your own personality, uh, until you take conscious control of that. Do you want to describe that mm-hmm. process a little bit? Yeah, so what I've thank you, Doug. So what I've done is I've um, I've likened the journey of a boy into manhood, um, and also the journey of a man as well to the process of forging a sword. So if we think about how a, how a sword is forged, uh, essentially what happens is we start off with just metal, and it gets melted. Um, in a in a you know it gets melted, and then we thrust this metal into a fire, and it gets heated, and then we. And then we hammer the metal and we shape it and we fold it and then we place it aside to be cooled before it gets thrust back into the fire again to go through this process over and over and over again um, before an actual useful thing comes out of the process, which is a sword. Um, and in this case, I've used the legend of Excalibur to, um, to really explain what it means to be a good quality, integrated and embodied masculine man. And so... It's a very interesting process because when you look at how a sword is forged and when it gets thrust into a fire, that that signifies or demonstrates, I guess, um, adversity that we might all go through at some some stage in our life. And then we come out of that adversity, adversity, and then we're hammered and shaped and folded. And that's really just about learning from the adversity. Um, what lessons have we learned? How has it affected us negatively or positively? What's been the what have been the repercussions of the adversity that we've gone through and how we've dealt with that. And then we're basically set aside to cool. And the cooling process is about, is about an extra level of awareness, understanding what were the lessons from that and how can I be different next time? And then of course, at every stage of that journey, that piece of metal becomes a different version of itself as we do as men as well, before we experience a little bit more adversity and get thrust into the fire again. 
Right. <laughs> and the process just continues over and over again, I guess. But uh, it does. And, and we continue to be different versions of ourselves at every step of that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You really kind of talk about how once men get into their 40s, they pretty much have gotten to a place in their life where they should have enough self-awareness maybe to start to start doing some of this work. I mean, I guess you could do it at any any time. The earlier, the better, I'm sure. Um, but what is it about men in their 40s? Do you work mostly? Would you say that's kind of the age group that you work with mostly or... Um, I would say between the ages of 35 and 50 is uh-huh. really is really where 80% of the men that I work with are between 35 and 50 and something happens Doug something happens when we approach 40 and and it's a it's almost like a landmark event that age means something to us because because what happens is it's almost like this point in our lives where we feel like I'm not young anymore but I'm also not old and I've gotten to this point in my life and maybe I've been married or I've had a few relationships and perhaps I've had children and, and there's been a divorce in amongst that as well and had to go through all this shit and, and I've realized that my career is not fulfilling anymore or the work that I do doesn't fulfill me anymore and I'm probably going to live for another 40 or 50 years and I'm starting to become more aware of my own mortality. And I'm beginning right. to understand that I need to pay more attention to the things that are important to me, the direction that I want to go in life and feel like there's some kind of meaning to my life as well. And so this all happens to men within the ages of between 35 and 50 and more to the point as they approach 40. And I think that age of 40 is very, very important for men. It really is because it's like this transition. It's almost like another rite of passage that we go through when we leave our youth behind and we start to embrace the beginning stages of wisdom, you might call it, or self-awareness that age can give us as a gift. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, very cool, very interesting. And I think it's important. I mean, I know I'm in my 40s now and... um, you know, I feel like I'm hoping that I'm making that transition. <laughs> you get to a place where you really realize that um, beating your head against the wall isn't getting the job done and you need to start really actually thinking about, uh, you know, why you've gotten to where where you are. Uh, and and then I think, I mean, at least for me, emotions, you know, really kind of kind of struck me all of a sudden that like, well, you know, no matter how hard we think about something, how we're feeling about something actually is what's manufacturing our, our reality, you know, mm. um, especially with our relationships and our families and the things that are actually, um, you know, the most important in our lives. I think a lot of men, you have the story in the book about the guy that, that really wanted that car. And, uh, you know, by the time he achieved it, it had no meaning because his wife had left him and his kid and she had taken the kids. And, and, yeah. uh, and that I think happens to a lot of, a lot of us, when we think the job is gonna is gonna produce the meaning uh, or the money, and it doesn't, and and then we're kind of left hanging there. You talk about this idea of of the crisis of purpose, mm. um, and do you find that that is what is what's happening with a lot of guys? Uh, you know, when they're ready to make this transition, all of a sudden they're realizing that they don't know 
you know, why they've been doing what they've been doing for so long Absolutely. and they need to have something else, you know, with that's more, exactly more what meaning. It is. That's, yeah. that's exactly what it is, Doug. <laughs> and, and I describe it as a dull ache that we all feel inside. It's like we right. get to a certain point in life and there's this, there's this undercurrent of dissatisfaction. You, you might want to call it that. This undercurrent of dissatisfaction that manifests in our bodies as a dull ache, as a dull ache. It's like this, it's, you can't really define it. You, you don't really, it's not a, it's not a sensation so much. It's more of a gut feeling that something isn't right. And, and it doesn't feel, this doesn't feel good anymore. And, and when men learn to connect with that early on, when they first start to feel it and do the work, they're driven and they're motivated and they want to create meaning and purpose in life. And when I say that there's a crisis of purpose, you know, you know how we all talk about the midlife crisis that many men apparently have, right. the midlife crisis. So the midlife crisis, the so-called midlife crisis happens when a man gets to that point where nothing in his life gives him meaning anymore and he wants to find some sense of purpose. And so what he does unconsciously is he tries to recapture his youth, the period of time in his life when he was energetic he was, um, you know, getting all the girls. He was making money. He was life was good, and he was trying to. He's trying to tries to recapture that again. Um, and where men make that mistake a lot during that period of time is rather than recapturing our youth because we don't have that anymore. What we should be doing is moving towards purpose, meaning, service, contribution, yeah, and, and helping our life. You know, helping to create a life for ourselves that has some meaning and purpose to it and this is usually when men come to me when they're at that juncture in life where they know that they don't want to continue the way that they are but they have no clear path forward and they don't know what it means to create a new life and when i say that they don't know what structure that takes how to get there or even what direction to go in and so they usually land in my groups and my circles and then we start to explore you know that core values and purpose and self-image. What version of yourself do you want to create? Um, let's start to realize some of your untapped limitless potential and work towards self-actualizing yourself and your life. And thinking about when you get to the end of end of your life, beyond being a good person and a decent father and a and a, and a, and a loving husband, what do you want to have achieved in life? How do you want to have made the world better for the fact that you are here? And we start asking these really big, expansive, but deep questions. And it's, it gets men to step into deeper parts of themselves, accept their call to adventure, go on their hero's journey and start to slay some of their dragons, you know, which they've developed over right. the years and that have grown big inside their psyche. Um, dragons like fear and self and lack of self-belief and lack of confidence in themselves and things like that. Yeah, it's so interesting, actually, to think about that in terms of the midlife crisis typically being sort of like chasing that dragon, you know, tr trying to go back uh, to your youth that you're never actually going to get again when the appropriate response is to set yourself up to be like a, a, a wise elder, right? I mean, you know, <laughs> this is this is the direction I think it, just in terms of a, a healthy life cycle. Our, I just, I think about it because our culture um, so much worships that kind of that youthful phase uh, and it doesn't give as much respect maybe to the, to the elder wisdom um, that you've seen in, in other cultures and cultures in the past. And maybe that's something that we really need to be 
Yeah, I mean, that is the, it seems the emotionally healthy journey, life journey um, is to hit that age of, of in the 40s and in the 50s and realize that you really need to become a mature adult, right? You, you know, someone that can kind of pass wisdom down to the, to the next generations uh, instead of thinking that you need to reclaim those glory days of the past. Um, and going through a process like this, this emotional healing process is, is the necessary part. I mean, you really do have to take this, as you put it, this hero's journey. Um, so then you kind of discuss in the book, making this paradigm shift um because so why don't why don't we just discuss for a few minutes like what happens in that initial like i'm sure a lot of people will come to you and they'll be really confused about what is that first step right i mean what are exactly are you doing it's so kind of amorphous or conceptual when we're talking about these psychological issues so mm. what would you recommend to somebody who's listening to this and is thinking yeah you know I, i'm feeling that lack of purpose in my life i'd like to make this transition i'd like to become a more uh, emotionally healthy adult human being um what are those first steps that you've got to take but the first step after that, after that acknowledgement and that awareness, things have got to change and I want to create a better life. Mm -hmm. The first thing you do, the first thing you do is read my book, Forging Excalibur. Right. <laughs> That's the first thing. And then, and then look, for, and the reason why I say that, not just because it's my book, but what I've done in that book is I've, is I've essentially taken all of the, you know, parables and lessons from my own life and my experience with other men, helping men through their journey of life as well and through this very important phase and put it all into, you know, almost 300 pages mm -hmm. that men can digest reasonably easy and begin to create some framework around some of the things that they could start with to begin the journey, right? Which is around understanding how, how why we think the way that we think how results are created in our lives, why we are at this juncture in our lives right now. And the book, and, and I hope what the book does is it brings awareness to the fact that um, there's this process that all men go on, you know, that all men go on in life. And they get to this point where they want to start rediscovering who they are as an individual and create and start to intentionally create mm -hmm. a life that they, that they desire, you know. Um, rather than living this life of unconscious, unintentional, jumping at shiny, shiny objects, trying their best to make things happen and feeling like a failure along the way because their relationship isn't what, what they want it to be. They're not the father that they wish to be. They're, not, they're, they're now dissatisfied with their job and they don't know what else to do. So there's all this stuff that happens. And because we are wired as men to provide, to protect, to preside, to be strong and resilient and all this sort of stuff, when we start to feel weak and vulnerable and like a failure, it can be very internally emotionally disruptive for a man. For a man. And so it is important to first build awareness around where are you and how did you get there and, and what do you want to start creating? And that's what the book does really. And then once and then once you've got some awareness around that and you've started to understand what where you are and why you're here, then we've got the foundation to build from there. If you are listening to this, you are listening to the first free hour of The Shift with Doug McKinty. 
For access to the full feature-length versions of the podcast, go to www.theshiftnow.com and subscribe for the audio version for just $6 a month. Access the full-length episodes in video form through rockfin.com by subscribing at the Shift with Doug McKenty landing page. For $9.99 a month, you gain access not only to the Shift, but also all other premium content material hosted on the platform. Find out more at www.theshiftnow.com backslash store. Detoxify your body, decolonize your mind, make the shift. Well, why don't we get uh, a little bit into, with the time that we have left, what does that life look like? What happens when someone has integrated the shadow self? I mean, you've talked, we've talked a little bit about the, like the seven standards of men, um, and maybe we could discuss that, or just, you know, what do you think a, a, a healthy life after this process of shadow integration can work uh, for, for people? What can they expect after the process is over? That- they can expect a very clear. That, well, okay, I'll start from the beginning. They can they can expect to have core values, well defined mm-hmm. core values that help them to uh, make good quality, intentional, focused, purposeful choices in life. They can expect to have a well defined purpose so that every moment of their day has meaning. Um, they can expect to have a very clear self-image of who it is that they, the man that they want to create for the future and be working toward, towards building that man on a day-to-day basis with purpose connected with core values. And their days are very intentional. Their relationships are connected. They are good role models for their father, for their parents. <laughs> They're good role models for their children. Mm-hmm. They, they are connected partners for their wives, for instance, Right, they live life with meaning. They are energetic. They experience vitality. They're healthy. They're well balanced. They, um, the opinions of others don't affect them. They are very considered in their approach to life in general. Um, they make more money. They have more. They're more. They have more success in life as well. It's a. It's a blessed life. It is a blessed life to become more self-aware and to be working towards becoming the version of yourself that you know you can become, yeah. but you're just not sure how to get there. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, right? It's possible for anyone to do this. If they do, if they do the work, if they stop the avoidance and the denial and they do the shadow, the integration of the shadow work without the shame and the judgment. <laughs> yep. Yep. It One sounds the- overwhelming, but when you are, when you allow yourself to be guided through a process of uh-huh. an unfolding Delayering process of of really uh, becoming aware of who you are and who you have the potential to become. It's whilst it's difficult when you're guided through the process, it doesn't feel as overwhelming. But us talking now and people and people people might be thinking they might be going, "Wow, that sounds really hard. How do I even do that?" Yeah, it's like step just step into the work, just step into the work. And and if you work with someone like me, for instance. Um, I, I have a structured process that I take men through um, and it might take six or eight months, but what, you know, there's, there's always a price to pay for either action or non-inaction or non-action. And so we've got to think about, you know, what, what's our struggle going to be? Are we going to have the struggle and the pain of discipline for the next six to nine months of learning this stuff and, and creating a better life for ourselves and our children, and our families, or, do we want the pain of regret of getting to 
another 12 months down the track and still feeling like a failure and still um, not living the life that you want. Yeah. So there's always going to be a, a price to pay. And we have to, as men, make a decision as to what price do we want to pay? Do we want to pay the price of regret or discipline? Yeah, I hear you. That was uh, one of the things I've been thinking about. There, that concept of discipline is actually really important. And that was a, that was a lesson I had to learn the hard way. Um, you really actually have to be able to maintain control uh, in order to get the results that you want. And the other thing, the, the other issue that I've had, maybe we could talk about this is, is procrastination. Um, maybe that's just another form of avoidance, but it is interesting. Yeah. To try to, uh, to be self-motivated, you know, that that's challenging. That's been a challenge for me. So how, how does someone work on that? How do you, uh, how do you self-motivate, to do this kind of work when you're in a place where maybe, uh, you know, procrastination is one of your issues. <laughs> yeah. Look, procrastination is an issue for everyone really. Yeah. Um, unless they have purpose and I always come back to purpose. Okay. Because if you have purpose and you've given your life meaning and what you do is something that you love and you're passionate about and it fuels your fire, then procrastination doesn't exist in your world. Yeah. Right. And neither does avoidance because procrastination is just an avoidance strategy. And most of these avoidance strategies are very sophisticated because we tell ourselves, because we're all reasonably intelligent. And so we tell ourselves all these lies about why we don't have time, we don't have the money, we don't have the energy, um, we can't do this, we can't do that. And there's more important things over here. What we're really doing is engaging in very sophisticated procrastination techniques to avoid what we know we need to be doing, which is the work so to speak, which is the entering the cave, yeah. facing our, our demons and getting real with who we have become compared to who we wish to be and then to having the courage and the strength to go on a hero's journey towards becoming that version of ourselves that we know we want to become. So, And motivation is also a myth. We shouldn't need to be motivated because if we need to be motivated and we need something extrinsic to us to motivate us, uh -huh. then what that really means is we have no control over our own emotional state, that we have nothing within us that gives us inspiration, that pushes us forward. And, and what that thing is that gives us inspiration and pushes us forward is guess what? Purpose. Right. Yep. Well, and so how do you, like, what do you tell your, your clients about cultivating purpose then? They have to look in, uh, you, you've got to manufacture your own purpose for yourself, huh? It's, it's about manufacturing purpose for ourselves, yes. And each individual have something different that we feel is, is purposeful for us in life. But there is a process. So we can't just come from an unconscious place one moment and then have purpose the next moment. We have to, there's a de-layering, there's, there's a whole process involved here. And it's about first, first off, first of all, coming to terms with, you know, who you've become and, and how did you get there? That's not a long process, that part of it, but then really connecting with core values. What do you truly value in life? And when you know what you truly value and you know what you're passionate about and you know how you want to be of service and contribute, then purpose becomes a natural evolution of that. Huh. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I think the idea of having core values too is something that is lost on a lot of people. It's not something that um, is really taught in our society anymore. I don't think it, it, I mean, one of the things that's been happening to me with the, the COVID stuff in the last, uh, the last year and a half is that it doesn't seem like a lot of people, uh, you know, have certain principles or certain boundaries when it comes to what the government or the community or other people can do. I mean, I guess that, and that's, uh, you know, this, I don't want to get off on a political conversation about this, but there's certain, there's certain principles. I think the psychological uh, analogy here would be having boundaries, (laughs) but you have to have these, these, these core values uh, that you've, that you feel really strongly about for yourself so that other people or other entities or whatever it is can't, you know, aren't going to come in, aren't going to deflect you from your, your purpose. Right. Um, so if you don't have these core values that you're going to stick to, you know, no mm-hmm. matter what, basically, uh, then you're just kind of, you're easily malleable, I guess. Right. You, you know, you can and get you're, pushed and you're around. Easily- and you're easily manipulated and controlled. If you don't have standards for yourself, right? standards for who you are as a man, and if you're not very deeply connected with us, with your core values and a sense of purpose in life, and if you don't have a really good quality self-image of yourself, and that is what you believe of yourself and what you're capable of, then you are malleable, you are manipulatable, you are controllable. And that, in my opinion, is a weak human being. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's fascinating actually. And it's almost like, it's almost like we're living in a culture that doesn't want to make that value judgment, but you, you have to have these core values in order to not be, uh, in order to stand up for yourself, in order to not have these weaknesses. Uh, I don't yeah. know. It's just not like something's happening. Something's happened in the culture. It's almost, it's interesting because conversely, I'm having this conversation with you and, and we're talking about how over the last 20 or 30 years, uh, there have been movements to teach people how to be emo- emotionally powerful human beings. Um, but conversely, it seems like there's still a lot of people that haven't jumped on the, the bandwagon here with this. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm happy to explain why I think that is. Sure. Because, because this work, this work requires us to take responsibility for everything. And, and there's no room in this work for blame and shame and guilt and finding right. fault and externalizing anything. One of the very first things that we teach the very beginning of the very first program, the Knights Code that, we're, that, we, that we deliver is not just around the fact that we all have limitless potential, but the overarching, one of the overarching standards of men is 100% ultimate responsibility. And that means that we don't get to find fault or lay blame external to us. There's no such thing as blame or fault. There is only responsibility, personal responsibility. And every experience that we have in life and every result that we are um, experiencing or getting in life is our responsibility to either accept or change. It doesn't matter how the result got there, but we need to take responsibility for the fact that in some way we either created or co-created that result or that experience. And now it's up to us to take responsibility to change it or accept it, whatever we feel we need to do, whatever serves us. And so, 
as a culture, we are conditioned to not take responsibility, to actually blame, externalize, and find fault with everything, everything and anything we possibly can to absolve ourselves of guilt and responsibility. And so when you ask people to take responsibility um, for everything, it polarizes people. They don't like it because they're not used to it and they get, you know, they experience cognitive dissonance around that. Huh. And so, especially for men, because a lot of men have large egos, it's like, no, that's not my responsibility. That's not my fault. That's his fault or their fault or the government or the economy or the this right. or the that, you know? And, um, and they become disempowered victims of the external as opposed to empowered um, creators of their own existence and their own lives. Yeah. So responsibility is powerful. Well, I mean, it's not easy being a strong a strong person. It's not easy being a strong man. That's why it's called strength, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Absolutely. It takes work. <laughs> it takes work. And you have to cultivate that within you because we also have a society that, that demonizes strength and confidence in men and calls it toxic masculinity. Yeah, right. So as soon as a man steps up and, and, and it displays anything resembling confidence and self-assuredness and purpose – is labeled toxic because toxic or arrogant or narcissistic or whatever he's labeled, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting to kind of go full circle with the conversation. Um, it's actually a challenge to become a strong man because as you do, then you are going to be subject to all, all of this labeling from all of those around you that are going to try to peg you uh, as, as toxic uh, when in fact you're just being healthy, healthy and strong, uh, and so it's really important, I think, for people to start to realize what is the difference. Uh, you know, what is the difference between? I think you you say something in the book about the difference between confidence and arrogance, and yeah. and so there is this difference between you know a healthy, strong, confident man, and then what people might describe as this toxic masculinity. Uh, which would be almost like a, a fake or inauthentic version of that, an arrogant person uh, who sort of feigns this kind of strength but doesn't really embody it. Yep, agree, agreed. And look, no, I, I don't know any women that are inspired by a weak-willed man. Right. Right. So, so we, you know, when we start to think about, is it, is it, is it, are we, are we being a good mo role model for children if we are weak? And if we're not self-aware and if we're uninspired and if we're demotivated and when we don't have purpose, like what kind of example is that for our children? That's the first thing. And then I don't know any women that actually are attracted to weak-willed and weak-minded men. Right. So it's like just, just look at what children need and women want and then just be that. And, if it's, <laughs> and, 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 then, and this is the work that you need to, to start moving towards it. Yeah. Well, sounds like a plan, Michael. Thanks for coming on the show. I think we're hitting that 90-minute mark, and, and I don't know if you have any concluding remarks that you'd like to tell people, but uh, I, I think we've kind of covered the bases here. Um, such an important topic, actually, to just kind of get into what it is to be a healthy man, and I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a topic that not enough people are talking about now, and it is something that you know we as men certainly need to understand how to be healthy. I think that the conversation that we had 
discussing uh, so much post-traumatic stress, generational post-traumatic stress. And like at this point in our society, being able to have the emotional maturity to turn the corner and to do the shadow work uh, and to stop the, the shaming and the blaming uh, and to step it up and to become emotionally healthy and emotionally strong. I mean, if, if we don't do it, who's going to do it. Right. And the more of us that Absolutely. do the better, the better society we're going to build. So mm. do you awesome. want to let, you want to let people know uh, where they can get in touch and a little bit about your program too. I know you have uh, you have a couple of different levels. Yeah, totally. Thank you. So people can reach me at forging and what I'll do, Doug, is I'll actually provide you a link for people who listen or watch this to download my book, Forging Excalibur, for free, um, which I'm happy to provide that to you. Um, and the programs basically start at the Knights Code, and the Knights Code is an eight-week um, live-delivered and supported blended delivery program where we go through the seven standards of men and we implement the, them into our lives and, and start to really understand what it takes to be a good quality man by embodying these and having standards and embodying these standards. So that's the Knight's Code. And then following that is the Hero's Journey, which goes for six months. And it's in that that we do a lot of cool stuff. And at the core of it are the three things that I've spoken about a couple of times in our chat today. And they are core values, um, you know, getting clear on what your core values are, crafting mm-hmm. a well-defined purpose and and really beginning to connect with and discover what is that future version of you as a man? What does he look like? How does he feel? Um, what does he do in life? How does he, how is, how good a parent is he? What is he, what experience is he having of life and where is he living? And we get really down deep into the, into the everything, the detail of everything in life. And then we, and then we teach you how to create it. So it's really this, amazing and empowering journey to unlock the code to success success if you like and happiness and fulfillment and then move on to how do we actually create that in all aspects of life and and create a life by design and be a good quality man of standards and honor and responsibility Sounds good, Michael. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I'll just take a second to let people know that I've been your host, Doug McKenty. This has been The Shift, and you can check out all of my work at www.theshiftnow.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at McKenty and on Facebook, just under Doug McKenty, my personal page. It's kind of where a lot of the action is at. I'm on a lot of, I'm on Telegram too, and a lot of other uh, social media channels. Uh, you can go to rockfin.com and catch all my videos there as well, or on Odyssey under the shift with Doug McKinty. Uh, but the website is the place to go, theshiftnow.com. Uh, sign up for the newsletter, and I'll keep you up to date on all the episodes that I've been producing. And thanks again, Michael, for coming on. Uh, what a great, great work that you're doing, helping to heal the men from the generational trauma. And I think the more healthy, emotionally healthy men we get out there in the world, the better the world will be. So thanks for coming on and letting us know your process and how it's done. Thank you, Doug. Really appreciate it. You bet. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. My conversation with Michael Loria. I have been wanting to uh, have this conversation about the the modern men's movement. I've got a couple of friends, a couple of interviews that I've done in the past uh, with guys like Ted Hainig, Jason Kristoff, been getting more and more into this um, uh, emotional health 
move, this, um, you know, healing us from our own self-sabotaging behaviors, how to become healthier people, how to become more emotionally healthy, uh, rather than having all of these more intellectual conversations, I guess, or these really logical or rational or critical conversations about uh, the topics of the day, because I, I've discovered, frankly, in my own life that emotional health is way more important uh, than being able to argue logically or rationally. Um, and so I was happy to have Michael on to have this particular conversation about what's going on with the the men's movement that's kind of been growing. Uh, I don't want to say in response to modern feminism necessarily, but it does feel like, uh, like I mentioned in the intro, that modern feminism, uh, at least in some respects, has begun to attack uh, or or um, emasculate uh, the masculine principles in some in some sense, and I have total uh, compassion for the fact that a lot of uh, a lot of women are upset <laughs> about the state of the culture and and the generations of living under patriarchal institutions where you know women couldn't even vote uh, or women couldn't get certain kind of jobs or you know of course even now uh, women are not necessarily treated as equals in the workplace it's it's challenging uh, to get higher up in these corporate hierarchies uh, on jobs uh, and having equal uh, measures of success in politics or in business with men. And so we've got this ongoing thing going on, this shifting uh, between the power dynamics between the masculine and the feminine that's happening. But I do perceive that there has been this uh, situation where, uh, at least in some modern feminist movements, that the vindictiveness, the anger towards men in general uh, starts to really wear on the men. Like I, I think men, and just in my own personal experience, are, are frankly confused a lot of times in terms of, of how to act appropriately. You want to be a good man, um, but you're not really given a lot of role models, a lot of modeling out there as to how to do that. Uh, and so what sometimes can happen is that uh, women can even become controlling and abusive while men are not putting up solid boundaries uh, because they don't, you know, they're, we're trying to deal with these personal relationships in such a way um, that we can have equality in relationship. But then what happens when you see too much of your personal power? That's not a healthy relationship either. So having Michael on to have this conversation about what is a healthy man, and we, we hear so much about these terms like toxic masculinity. He's even trying to get away from the terms of patriarchy and matriarchy and what is a toxic masculinity, toxic femininity. Like, let's just talk about balancing these energies. Let's talk about emotional health. Uh, you know, let's get away from this kind of objectification uh, and this defining uh, these systems, these characteristics uh, that really get us nowhere when emotionally we're still kind of in this quagmire and we're not really sure how to tap into that deep personal power that's really important uh, in our personal relationships, frankly. And so, you know, I was happy that uh, it was actually, uh, I got introduced to Michael and we were able to have this conversation so that I could just report to you guys about what's going on with men in general and, and how men can empower themselves if they're feeling confused about what's going on in the world today. And I think a lot of us are. Um, 
frankly, I hope, and I, I wouldn't mind hearing back from, from a lot of the women that may be listening to this. What do you think about this? I mean, I do hear from, from women that, hey, you know, don't you prefer to have an empowered man, right? Uh, Michael was saying that that's what is attractive about masculinity. And so we need to be able to have these conversations, these open-minded conversations, kind of like uh, the one that I had recently with Nico House about race. We need to have these conversations about uh, our sexuality as well that allow for, you know, in the case of race, it allows for whiteness. In the case of men, it allows for, for people with penises to, to be able to express themselves without feeling like they're being overpowering or they're just automatically being patriarchal or, you know, automatically being colonizers uh, just by the fact of, uh, you know, the color of their skin or, the or their sexuality, what you were born with. Um, we need to figure out how to rebalance these energies. And so I wanted to have Michael on to be able to have that conversation. And he does do a great job in forging Excalibur of saying, hey, you know, here's uh, the issues that are going on in the world today with a lot of guys. And here is a path towards uh, a healthy masculinity that's really not so much a part of this patriarchal system. You know, it's not based on the money that you make or where you're at in your job. It's based on your personal power and having a healthy emotional system. And, and that, to me, actually is the most important distinction between what you could call the shift between the patriarchy and maybe a more feminine-oriented or matriarchal-based society is the shift from objectification and logic into one of more of appreciating the subjective experience and uh, and having a very strong emotional foundation and emotional relationship. And this is where then the dynamics within families, within communities will just automatically start to heal themselves, I think. So it was fun to have Michael on to be able to just kind of go through that process and the way that he uses this concept of forging Excalibur uh, as a model for men to think about themselves, think about their personalities. Um, ask yourself, you know, what aspects of yourself are self-sabotaging? What parts of your subconscious are you just, you know, going around on this hamster wheel of life doing what you think you're supposed to be doing without actually uh, participating in uh, a real emotional connection with your family, with your intimate partner, uh, with your community. Um, and how can you separate yourself from that uh, and then, you know, reforge yourself into a human being that has a healthy masculine power uh, that your, your spouse will appreciate, that your kids will respect, and that your community will follow. Um, and so he does go through that process. He talks about the heating and the cooling and then looking inside yourselves, going through the cave of your own fears, uh, doing that shadow work to reintegrate uh, those traumas that, 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 those traumas that have developed uh, unhealthy coping mechanisms for you in the present that, that really aren't, it's not really happening right now. You don't have to, you know, be this kind of person that goes through life unaware. Instead, you integrate that shadow self into your authentic self, and you can make conscious decisions about the way forward to go through life. Um, and this is a process that we all, you know, men and women all need to go through the process of healing. And I do think uh, that understanding that men and women are different, I'm not to overgeneralize, but we have different needs. Uh, we have different um, 
functions really within the family unit in general uh, that sh we should be approached differently in terms of how are we educated to be uh, the most powerful man that we can be in a healthy way? How should we be educated to be the most powerful, healthy woman that we can be within that family unit? Um, I think so much of what's happened in society, especially in the last hundred years, and we've seen this breakdown of the family unit. Um, and I think as we move forward to build a better society into the future, we need to start seeing stronger and stronger family units that are that are capable of living and being aut autonomous from the larger patriarchal system. Frankly, I mean, as we move away from patriarchy, we want to see stronger and stronger family units. And in order to have a family, a strong family unit, you've got to have a strong uh, father figure, right? You've got to have a strong man uh, there to do that work of being the protector. Um, for the family and being a, a, a positive role model uh, for the kids. Uh, so I just want to thank, um, I want to thank Michael for coming on. Oh, one other point I wanted to make too was it's not just, I think maybe in the introduction I kind of, you know, railed a little bit too much on, on feminism or the feminist movement, but even patriarchy is really emasculating to men too, right? I mean, the patriarchal system doesn't want strong men because strong men are, are going to be a threat to those at the top of the hierarchy. And so they're looking to create these followers. Um, and so that is as confusing to most of us uh, as the feminists are when they seem to, to focus their anger maybe too much on, on the individual men that are all over the place rather than those people at the top of this hierarchy that are uh, objectifying us all right uh that are turning us into human resources are turning us into a cog in their machine their economic machine uh their you know the colonizing machine uh, it's not healthy for men to be in patriarchy either right so you know teaching having a guy like michael come on to show that healthy masculinity is a real important part of creating a a new path forward for families that have both a healthy masculine presence and a healthy feminine presence uh, that can build the strong family unit to, to push us into the future in a good way, right? For the, for the seventh generation. Uh, so anyway, I hope you guys uh, got as much out of it as I did. And like I said, for you ladies out there who've been listening to this, you know, comment, let me know. Uh, what do you think? Um, you know, it, it seems to me like a lot of ladies, uh, are actually really attracted to a healthy, emotionally strong man. And, uh, the more of us that we can have out there and I'm still, I'm working on it, you know, I'm still working on it, but, uh, the more of us men that can be emotionally healthy and emotionally powerful that are out there, I think, uh, the better our, our society is going to be going on in the future. So thanks Michael for that work. Um, again, you can find all of his stuff at www.forgingexcalibur.com. The book is there, so you can download it. Um, and then he's got a whole process. You know, if you want to go, if you want to become a client of his, uh, he'll help you. He'll help you, um, gentlemen, to forge your own Excalibur, right? So if you want to become part of that process, and if you want to go through his system, uh, he's there to help. Um, and I think 
you know, one of the things that he did mention too, it's not just like a typical men's group. I mean, we can't just sit around and, and sort of confide in each other all the time uh, about what's going on. We have to actually do the work to have the discipline to stop the self-sabotaging behavior. Uh, and Michael will help you do that. So again, www.forgingexcalibur.com. You can check it out. So uh, for all of you who have enjoyed this program, you can uh, go to my website. Please sign up for the newsletter. That's the best way to keep in touch. I'll send you everything that uh, I produce out of Doug McKenty Productions, uh, every episode of The Shift, uh, and everything else that I come out with uh, over the course of every couple of weeks. I usually send out a, a newsletter, so uh, you can do that. You can subscribe for the full-length episodes. I usually take about 30% or so out of each one for, for my subscription package. Um, and you can get all of that at www.theshiftnow.com. Next week, I'm going to have Charlie Robinson back on the program, I think for the third time, but he just came out with a, a new book. So I wanted to help him promote that called Hippocrazy, uh, which is about uh, basically, I think, uh, the hypocrisy that we see in the media all the time and how the media messaging, unfortunately, affects so much of what we think reality is, even though it's uh, actually not doing a very good job uh, of portraying what's really going on around us. Uh, so we're going to take a deep dive into that next week with Charlie Robinson. So hope you guys want to catch that one. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Take care. Mm -hmm.